Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, this is part two of two of a recent Talking Metal Live episode that featured Anthony Esposito and Michael Angelo. We heard from Anthony in the first part of the interview, and now we are going to hear from Michael Angelo. Angelo, Michael Angelo Badio. He's got a brand new record out. It's great. And he's going to tell us all about it. And we're going to get into it right now here on Talking Metal. And for the video portion of this, you'll get to uh, see a little Michael Angelo Badio house tour, if you will, checking out his guitars. Of course, it probably won't play out quite as well in the audio podcast version of this, but it was cool. So if you're listening to this, I suggest you head over to the YouTube page and check out the video for it. And also subscribe while you're there to uh, our YouTube page, youtube.com slash talking metal. All right, here we go. A little Michael Angelo Badio. Uh, this interview again comes from a recent edition of Talking Metal Live. Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. On Bud Friendly, here's your hosts, Mark and John. Ladies and gentlemen, a guy that I've been a fan of for many, many years. A good friend of ours, Michael Angelo Badio. Can you hear us, Michael? Oh, yeah. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Good. Good. This is my co-host, John. He's uh, he's hanging out in his apartment. I'm here in my basement. We're in New Jersey. Michael is in, I believe you're in Chicago, right? Is that? I'm, I'm like in the northern burbs, and I'm in my studio right now, which is in the basement of my house, too. So Awesome. Well, that's it, my hometown, Chicago. Uh, Hinsdale is where I went to high school and stuff, and used to go see you at the, the Thirsty Whale and, and the all-age shows, and it was such a big part of my teenage years, and we'll talk all about that. But first, I gotta tell you, this new record uh, that was sent over to me, More Machine Than Man, once again, you're killing it, man. It's, it's so, <laughs> so good, and I... I, I have notes on the different songs that I like. And let's just start off. An instrumental record. When did you record this? Well, we started it. It was supposed to be a Nitro record. And, and uh, what happened was we got Chris Adler from Lamb of God and Megadeth. Right, you know, I remember that. And then, uh, and then he goes, wouldn't it be cool if we got Victor Wooten on bass? So uh, I called Victor. And Victor's a fan of mine. And, you know, here's the guy's five-time Grammy award-winning bassist. But what happened during this is Chris got a, a, a really bad shoulder injury. He got into a terrible motorcycle accident. All these things transpired, so it delayed the record. So a lot of the material I wrote in, in 2017 and 2018, 
And the record was finished last year, but we couldn't release it around Christmas. We were going to release it in the beginning of this year. And then all of a sudden this COVID stuff happened. So it got delayed till now, but it's all new material and all songs that I wrote. And then a couple of the songs were produced and arranged by Josh Wilbur, who's, uh, who got the Grammy for Megadeth's last album. And he oh, wow. did, he also engineered Chris's drums too. So I was really happy. So it's Chris Adler on the drums and on the bass is it Vic, Victor is, is on the bass too. Only on, only on one song though. Okay. And Chris didn't play everything because he got hurt before. Right. We, we, so what I did was I actually, I'm, I'm a good drummer. I'm not a great drummer, but I'm good. There's so much cool drum software out there. And Chris actually did a whole program of his MIDI drum, drumming. It's really Chris, but they converted it to MIDI files. So what, what you don't hear Chris physically live playing I'm using MIDI files that Chris would use. <laughs> so it's really cool. Michael, that is amazing. Now, are, are you uh, engineering as well as playing? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a good tracking engineer. You know, I took courses on it, but I can't mix it all. And the only thing I can track is I'm good at tracking guitars, bass, and keys. If I need, if I need an acoustic guitar, you know, I never mix my own albums or master. I, I'm not, I stay in my lane. And, you know, like a lot of people, we all, have, we all have home studios, but you need the bad boys to mix it. I'm sorry. Or to track. There's no way I can track drums. I mean, I might know how. That doesn't mean I'm good at it, you know. So it, I know my limitations. And it's, but, you know, I'm a writer and I can record my guitars. But even when I record guitars, I have an engineer that I've worked with come in and mic up the amps. You know, I like to use real amps. So, and then I sometimes back them up with with direct sounds that you can reamp later. So, oh my my phone's going crazier, but yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> and and I wanted to ask you about some of the individual songs because, like I said, I've really been enjoying the record. Again, more more machine than man. Now, first, let's start. That's obviously a song on the record, but it's also the title of the record. And it's it's funny because you know I, I've seen reviews like of you when they're like well he plays so fast it's like a machine but then on the flip side of that for me personally I love your speed and I'm blown away by it but you have this crazy ability that a lot of guys don't have to mix the emotion with it which a machine wouldn't have so I, <laughs> you know what I mean yeah you know it's funny because even in the Holland days I played fast and we had Tom Warman producing our record. He did Poison and Motley Crue and he liked the way I played fast. He goes, it made sense to me. That's what he told me. Right. He, the first two songs on Little Monsters are two of my fastest solos because he liked the way I added speed and, and, and quickness to the melody. So I, yeah, I, but I, you know, I mean, you know, coming from Chicago and listening to Holland, that's how I, I was brought up listening to music. When I lived in LA, it was almost like gun, you know, I remember uh, the owner of BC Rich Guitars at the time, Bernie Rico, he said, you guys are a bunch of gunslingers. Everybody trying to outgun the other. But it was kind of like that back then with Yngwie Malmsteen and Paul Gilbert. and right. Everybody's just taking it to the nth degree. So yeah. I was right. Yeah, and absolutely. I just want to go through some of my favorite tunes on the records. Uh, on the record, again, More Machine Than Man by Michelangelo Badio. 
And let, let me let me start with an interesting one because obviously I'm this crazy heavy metal guy. But Dreaming of 1986, a beautiful softer song that is kind of in the middle there, and it just it it was this nice little bridge in between a lot of real heavy music. Great, what is what is that about? Is there some symbolism behind that title and music? Yeah, well, you know, I. After I was in the band Holland, you know, we were all based in LA, even though we were all from Chicago. And when Holland, when I left Holland, I moved back to California and, and I used to live in Woodland Hills and it's not too far from Topanga Canyon. And I used to go up in the foothills with an acoustic guitar and a cassette deck and I would just play and write. And I just write all this stuff. I mean, it's kind of like, even when we did Gotta Run in Holland, Tommy had the verse in the pre-course I came up with the chorus and that really cool, mellow intro. I'm always writing songs. So I was working on this album and it was about three or four in the morning and I plugged in the acoustic guitar. I just started saying, I'm just tired of playing metal tonight. And I started, and I, I turned down the DAW system, you know, the digital audio, you know, my, my software. And I just recorded these parts that I had already written and I just put them together. It was just a one take version that I'd never played before and wow. I listened back and I'm like that's pretty cool that's and then I played cool. thanks and I played it for a couple other people I said what do you guys think about this everybody thought it sounded great so that's how it happened but it reminded me of sitting in the foothills in Topanga Canyon playing acoustic guitar and it right. was nice Right on. And just to mention a couple other songs, uh, The Badlands, again, super heavy. Like, what do you tune down to on that? Is that like C or C sharp? Uh, uh, I use seven string guitars. Right. Not all. Oh, okay. I really like them. And so I took the seventh string, which is normally a B, and I moved it down a whole step to A. So it's like. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and and that that song I love, and there's a little bits of jazziness even in even in that song, which is a heavier song. Twenty first century Beck, um, you know, is that are you talking about Jeff Beck? Is that a nod to him? Because I got to tell you, at times on this record, even though it's a hard rock driving record, I mean, there are elements of that, you know, a blow by blow or a wired. You know, you you do have some jazzy moments kind of filtered in here and there, which I love. Oh, thanks. You know, the, where, where I got that title was when we were mixing the album, the uh, engineer that, that was mixing it, he goes, he goes, dude, he goes, you kind of sound like Jeff Beck on some of this stuff. And, and he said, he goes, listen to these riffs. And, you know, because it's really bluesy, but you're right, because Blow by Blow and Wired had a lot of mix meters. They had, you know, Jan Hammer, fusion players. And so I mix all these crazy mix meters underneath, like, like, um, I remember playing this song for Adler, for Chris. And he's like, what the hell is that? And he wanted me to straighten it out. And I did straighten out the version for him. And I didn't like it as much. but Because my idea was to have this wild underlying mixed meters and crazy stuff, but kind of bluesy over the top in spots. But that's how I got the title. Right the and I know John probably has some questions, but one more about, this, about the songs. Charlie went to Chicago uh, of course, there's that little nod in that song to The Devil Went Down to Georgia, which is just amazing to hear you rip, kind of rip that solo on a guitar as opposed to, what, a violin or a viola? I'm not sure what it was played on. Yeah, originally. violin, yeah. And again, that was a Chris Adler idea. Uh, he goes, you know, he he's lives in Virginia, and, and he told me, he's like, he goes, man, he goes, it would be cool. We should do, 
we should do like uh, the devil went down to Georgia. And I said, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. So I did a complete demo of it, full blown. And he thought it was awesome. And, and, uh, that, and then what I did, I had a really long, one of the things I did on this new record, the two longest songs are, are the ones Josh Wilbur, the, the producer arranged. I tried to keep the songs a lot shorter. Um, you know, they're not nine minute epics. And, and uh, you know, even like, again, even the old Holland days, three and a half minutes, four minutes, we, we did what we had to do and, and get out. That's yeah. what I did. But I'm glad you like it. And, and the reference to Charlie went to Chicago, you know, yeah. the home. Yeah, and, right on. And, and, you know, that's the golden rule of show business right there. Leave them wanting more, which this record definitely does. And uh, okay. I'll let John get a couple words in here before I start Wait. talking about Holland. Michael, Michael, as you can tell, I'm a gear fanatic and I'm a guitar fanatic. So obviously I, I love you. I, I loved what you've done forever. I, I am in a totally different league as a player than you are. So you, you're in a, you're up here and I'm, I'm uh, not quite there. But I, I want to talk to you about your gear, and, and I, I see two amazing stacks right behind you. And I know you've played with Dean guitars, Gibson guitars, other guitars. Tell me about the new company or the company you're currently with who is doing uh, your current guitars. And I see you got the shirt on and these amazing-looking stacks that you got behind you. Well, thanks. I, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, uh, I've learned over the years is, you have to know who you are, you know, whether it's a business, whether you're a McDonald's, whether, I mean, Steve Vai, you could, you get an image of Steve Vai, like me, people picture, you know, I have a silhouette logo of my double. Um, when it comes to the amps, I, I, had, I didn't have an amp endorsement for many years because I did a lot of work with Dean Guitars. The owner of Dean died, passed away about three years ago. And it's just not the same company. These are, they're not run by musicians anymore. Just it's, they're losing endorsees or, you know, we, we just, the other day we had ex Dean employees contacting us for jobs. I mean, it's not the same. I couldn't wear the Dean. It's like being in a gang and it's over. You can't wear the colors anymore, but the amps behind me, it's from a company called Sawtooth, which the name is not that well known, but they're a part of three companies. They have Chromacast, which is a, an, uh, it's like accessory company. Some of the top 10 most uh, bought products in musical instruments are from Chromacast. Right. They are a really big conglomerate. They have, an, uh, they have a music store, a brick and mortar store. So there's three companies in one. They are just doing booming business. And they have three people that are their main endorsees. Me on guitar, Rudy Sarzo on bass, and Vinny Apathy on drums. And wow. I mean, we, we're, these are, are serious pros that there's four main owners. I just love work. They're like brothers, you know? It's like when you get in a room and, you know, you, you, know, you, you love the way they think in, in business, but the stacks behind me are two amps. And I found that from using all this digital equipment over the years and um, for a short while of time, I used a company out of Italy that, made pro amp processing. And I started thinking to myself, well, what guitarist do I know and like? Well, I like Mark Tremonti. Does he use uh, process stuff? No, he uses amps. What about Joe Bonamassa? Well, he uses real amps. So I thought to myself, now that I'm not working with Dean in anywhere near that capacity, I'm, you know, it's been over for a while. Um, I, I'm basically touring now when I play live. So I just love use their all tube heads. I have my own signature 
amp coming out, but uh, with this COVID thing, it got delayed. But you know, we can have a vintage 30 in there and, you know, just nice, beefy tubes. And that's what I like. They look great. Now, let me ask you about the two cabinets because I see one's a little taller. Like what, uh, do some have vintage 30s in it? Is, it, is the, the middle one a 410 or what are those? But No, these actually, I'm about a little over six feet tall. If I stood next to them, they're only, they're like three quarter size stacks. So oh, the- See, they look like where you're sitting down. I thought they were full size stacks. Yeah, it's kind of an illusion. We were actually filming some stuff uh, today. That's why when Mark- contact you know that's it worked out perfect i'm kind of on the set a little bit there's two vertical 12s on the bottom and a 112 on the top there's only three 12s total cool that that's great vintage 30s is that what the celestians yeah yeah i like them i like vintage 30s and greenbacks you know but they sound really good and i've already done uh you know before this COVID hit i did more shows in the first two months than I've done any time in years. I mean, probably about 40 shows. But I'm with the person, uh, the video guy, uh, Austin. He, he toured, you know, we toured together and uh, we did a string of like 21 shows, 28 shows total right before COVID hit. And then I was at NAM and in LA doing so. And, and these, uh, we, we used them all the time and no, no problems. They were really good. May I ask if, can you, I don't know if you have one handy, but can you show us a guitar on camera, one of the new guitars? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, I've got it plugged in something else right here. Okay, I, with Dean, I did a lot of graphics and things, but, and you know, they had pointy guitars, but we actually got away from that. It's more like a super strap, but here's the thing about Sawtooth. Uh, they have a huge base, online base. I mean, the amount of guitars they sell is unbelievable. But see, what they do is something different. This is called the M24, and it's not this radical-looking guitar, but these are the first two that we could get out by NAM. And I have another one, a black one, but here's the difference. For around 450 bucks, you can get a top-of-the-line German-made Floyd Rose on this guitar. And then, so it is a really good guitar, and they use a different wood, rosewood, as you know, it's kind of an endangered wood now. Yeah. There's another wood, I can't remember the name, that acts like rosewood, the moisture content. It's almost the same, but it's really plentiful. And so, you know, alder body, you know, standard stuff. But it's a, it's a flat white finish. But the thing that I love, we have a whole bunch of signature guitars coming out on the line. Seven strings, we just have to wait. But they can, they can do things with price points where, you know, it's, it's one thing to make an expensive guitar. It's one thing. And then or if you make an inexpensive one, people think, God, it's cheap. They make really great products for a really good price. We're I, trying to bring into playing music. Look at your beautiful collection behind you. A lot of people, a beginner is not going to be able to afford those bad boys. You know what I mean? And so we're going to bring the, the, the price points of the line. But I have one signature guitar here, this one. It's got a maple neck. It's $200 price range. And then they have upgrade kits where you can get Seymour's, all the top quality parts, top quality electronics. But they they really are a great company. And I mean, for Vinny Apice to leave a Dean company, their drum company to come to Sawtooth, he could be with anybody too. So is Rudy Sarzo, but they're bros. They're brothers. They're great people. 
And we've just started with my signature line. Well, let me put these down. Comes out. That, that maple neck with the, the black block inlays is beautiful, let me tell you. <laughs> I get into that so much. One thing that I would love to uh, you to talk about, and I want to explain to some of our viewers and listeners who are new and who, who don't understand, but you can play guitar with both hands at the same time, right-handed, what, what some people would consider right-handed and left-handed. You've had as many as four necks, and you've invented something uh, I, I believe you invented it, the string dancers. Yeah. And I yeah. to talk this right here. Um, we and we uh, Chromacast, one of the sawtooth companies, manufactures these, and they're under twenty bucks. But I, what I needed was when I'm playing two guitars at the same time, there's no extra hand to to stop the strings. And you know, people can make jokes. Well, you can use other body parts, you know, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, it's like, what can you do? So I did some research, and there was an a American guitarist but of Dutch descent named George Van Epps. In the 1950s, they came up with a very crude style damper, he called it, and it was to do what, what it, it's to block noise so you sounded cleaner. So I, I re-engineered it. I got a patent on it, and that's what I put on the, on the guitars. But uh, people like Jennifer Batten use them. Uh, there's a lot of young up-and-coming musicians uh, that use these because it's great for tapping and and that's what we do and they work great for the double because once I clamp this down like if you can hear this deadens it and so then I play two guitars and this is the proverbial third hand so it enables me to to hammer and pull off till till you know I feel like stopping but I, and then I can just touch the guitar, you know, it, it really, because only what I touch plays unless I really make a bad mistake, which hopefully that doesn't happen. But uh, <laughs> this blocks out all the, all the extra, extraneous strings. I'm definitely going to order those and I'm going to practice with it. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's so cool. And it's one of the things I couldn't wait to talk to you about. Thanks. Yeah. You don't have to drill into your guitar, nothing. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> amazing so you don't even have to put a screw in there you just you can add that to the guitar under the strings on the headstock and there's there's no drilling involved no because i was really adamant about that because my original versions did and i'm like well why would somebody want to ruin their guitar by drilling two holes you know right in the headstock so they're thumb screws it just slides under a part slides underneath like that almost like the metal sign just goes and you just put the thumb screws in it done you know and there's a pad there so it, it, it will leave your guitar untouched so it's awesome that is really awesome michael thank you thank so, you so, so, so michael i have every time i interview you which has been a bunch of times at this point I, I always have to revisit my youth through you holland a band that i just loved and i mean we would go as a kid, I mean, I was 14, 15, I would go see the all-age shows at the Thirsty Whale. I was at maybe not every one of them, but almost every one of them that you guys did. And those were such big moments for me because you guys were rock stars in Chicago. I mean, that that Holland record, which I believe was signed to, you guys were signed to Atlantic, is that correct? I mean, Atlantic. Little Monsters was one of the biggest rock records in the Chicagoland area. And this is pre-internet, so things were much more localized in those days. But I remember talking with some of the local record stores, and they were like, yeah, man, I mean, the Little Monsters was selling it as much as, you know, 
what was it done with mirrors by Aerosmith. You guys were, I mean, you guys were really a big, big deal to the local crowd in Chicago sold out the clubs con consistently. And, and do you ever hear from, from Tommy Holland or, or Brad or Joey, what happened to those guys? Well, um, we did a reunion a few years ago because Brad, the drummer, he was actually the youngest member of the band. He, he had, unfortunately, he had throat cancer, but he survived. You know, he's doing good. Oh, but we did a benefit uh, to raise money. But I still, you know, we're all brothers. We, you know, we don't talk every day, but it's kind of like a family member that you don't see all the time, but you're still family. And Tommy's doesn't have a huge online presence, but his wife, uh, Tammy, you know, we, you know, they'll say, yeah, Tommy said hello. And, and, you know, and we don't live that far away. He's up in Wisconsin. But, um, yeah, you know the thing, Mark, and I, I think we've touched on this before. Most bands that get signed to major labels, I mean, we had Tom Warman, engineer, you know, producing. Dwayne Barron, who did uh, Quiet Riots, uh, Bang Your Head, he was the engineer. I mean, we had rock and roll royalty producing us. We had, and we, and what would happen is most bands, they can't live up to the hype. They can't deliver the record. They have great management, great label. They can't, it's kind of like a movie. You can have Robert Downey Jr., but if the movie sucks, it's not going to do good. Here, here we did the opposite. We had a great album. It was selling like crazy. When you said Aerosmith done with Mares, we actually did stadium shows with them, like did the Alpine Valley. We toured with them during that time. But what we didn't have is the management connection to the record company to put it over the top. They just, you know, it's just, it, it's, I've never had this happen where we, the band delivered the music, we had the music, we still have the music, but the actual business people in charge of really getting that stuff out, the music out yeah. didn't do their job. It was the exact opposite of usually what happens. It's yeah, weird. and it's, it's funny because, you know, again, in the Chicago area, it caught on and there were guys, I don't know, you remember Scott Loftus on RPM? I mean, he played the hell out of that record. I think that's you know, one of the, the ways I may have discovered you guys. But um, I remember Joe Perry being interviewed by Scott Loftus. And of course, they took phone calls. And somebody called up and was like, Hey, Joe Perry, what do you think of Holland? You know, because we were such rabid fans. And I remember Joe Perry saying, Yeah, they got great songs, a great guitar player, great singer. They're, you know, so somebody dropped the ball on that. Because what we knew in Chicago was that Holland was just gold. And, and I, I feel like it was our own little secret, unfortunately, you know? Well, you know, I've tried over the years to keep the music alive. I put the solo to the song High Life in my song, No Boundaries. And it's one of my yes. most well-known, you know, it's played all over the world with guitar players. So I, you know, I'm so proud of that record. And I just remember even today, you know, I, I hear something about Holland almost every day of my life because it's one of these albums that the music has stood the test of time and it's kind of remembered on its own inertia. You know, not, no, because it wasn't, the record company didn't, we just didn't have that business side. See, conversely, when I was in the band Nitro, the singer and I hated the sound of our record, but the machine was in place. We hit the charts, we had a lot of tour support, we had MTV play. Headbangers had, Ball was playing it, yep. Yeah, you know, it was, see, it was the opposite. We didn't feel we had the music the way it should have been. We hated it, but the label loved it and pushed the heck out of it. Right. It was like, I've had the both extremes. And so, but yeah, this Holland thing, it's really close to me because 
it, it's like you said, we were so popular around here. And uh, I mean, even at on restaurants, like they had that brat stop, that really famous restaurant in Kenosha. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, they said national acts that played here. Holland was on the menu. And, you know, it's just, just it's just, it's fun. And, and uh, but even, even now, you know, people ask me, especially a lot of younger people that are into 80s music, I get, dude, that, that song gotta run. Or, or they like, uh, you know, wake up the neighborhood. And, and, uh, but, um, and the big three that I hear all the time, gotta run, basics of the bullet and wake up the neighborhood. Those are the three that seem to be the most popular. I, I got to put high life in there too, because that, that was a great one too. I mean, that's the, the thing with little monsters is, and guys, if to our listeners out there, uh, I, I'll play some of the music on the podcast, which I have in the past, but it, it is a perfect record through and through the songwriting is just fantastic. The musicianship. Great. And uh, yeah, great, great stuff. And thank you for giving us so much good music through the years. Uh, Michael and and I want John. I'll let John th- throw over to John for another one. Get a few more questions in here. I go back to my my music uh, gear. I'm a music student. Uh, Mark. Well, actually, Mark and I met at Berkeley College of Music. So I I actually went for drums, despite the fact that I got all these guitars. And, and believe it or not, I started out on keyboards. So this is uh, I I just like all gear. But anyway, yeah, you're well, very well educated and rounded musician. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, one of the things I think is a cool story, and I'm going to tie Mark into this too. You did an instructional video called Star Licks, and Mark, you have that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and the coolest thing about, well, the, the, the video is a great video, but there's a great story that Dimebag Daryl, the legendary, uh, late, amazing guitarist, was a real big fan of yours, and I wondered if you can... Um, oh, Mark, show the picture again with the, 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 the guitar like this. Yeah. I, I want our, our viewers and listeners to see that you play with two necks, because some people just don't understand that. Uh, not, not, a, not a double neck, a double guitar, right, Michael? That's right, yeah. Jimmy Payne uses double necks. Right. <laughs> That's right. Playing like this with your guitar connected in the middle, and you even have one that has four necks. And That's so right. it's just unbelievable. Let me just set these down. What a collection. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got some beautiful S balls here. Um, so I wondered, wondered if you could tell the story about uh, you and Dimebag and your interactions with him and, and how he was a big fan of yours. Sure. I was in the band Nitro, and we were doing our second record. Now, at the time, our first album was extremely successful. The label loved us. They gave us, they quadrupled our record budget for the second one. But they said, and we were hanging out with probably not the best people like C.C. DeVille and Steven Adler when he was in Guns N' Roses. Me and the gym were the band. And we were, we were hanging out with all the rock and roll elite. And, you know, we're not druggies. Neither one of us do drugs. But the label just thought it was too toxic of an environment for us to do our second record, even though we did the first one in L.A. So they sent us to Florida at a place, to a place called Full Sail Center of the Recording Arts. It's in Renner Park. still there. And, and so... And we said, we don't want to go to Orlando's Mickey Mouse. We don't want to, Mickey isn't metal. You know, and they were laughing. They go, you guys are going. So the singer and I, we rented this killer house. We flew out. Our road crew had to drive 3,000 miles across country. But my guitar tech at the, name, at the time was named Dragon. He was from Fresno. And, and back then, you know, everybody was like, dude, full on ecstasy, bad, bro. Like, we all talk like that. Bro, 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 dude. And so 
he gives me a cassette and he goes, bro, you got to hear this new band. I go, what are they called? He goes, they're called Pantera, dude. I go, what the heck is a Pantera? Puts the cassette in. I hear Cowboys from Hell. I hear, I'm like, oh my God. And then he goes, they're playing in Orlando in a couple of weeks. So we bring the entire band, the posse, the, you know, our roadies, everybody was living in the house. We drive into this club called Plus Three. And we knew the, the really, you know, hot female bartenders there. We knew everybody there because, you know, we had already lived in Orlando and we're recording for about a month. Nobody's in the parking lot. We go in. We're literally the only people there for this brand new band called Pantera that's supporting this brand new record called Cowboys from Hell. We, and so I'm sitting at the bar. Pantera gets up on stage. I see this guy in these shorts, long shorts, you know, and he's got like that weird pink beard. And he's riffing, and I'm like, oh, my God, listen to him. He sounds as good or better than the album. So I walk up to the front. Now, picture stage left, audience right. That's where Dime was. I'm about 10 feet away from the stage. like, And, I, and the music stops. I'm the only guy there. There's only a couple of people in the audience. And he literally goes like this. He, he looks like this to dim the lights. for. He goes, is that Michelangelo? I'm like, yeah, bro. He goes, I've got your instructional video, dude. He goes, you're like my guitar teacher, bro. I'm like, awesome. And then he goes, Pantera's dedicating a set to tonight's, you know, tonight's music to Michelangelo. And then we got off stage and we became friends. And, but he told me how much it influenced him. When you hear some of the licks on my instructional video, people have pointed out that they're reminiscent of, of riffs he played later. And, he was supposed to play on one of my solo albums. The next tour stop was Chicago before he got shot. And, and we were ready in the studio form. It was really sad. But, you know, I won't say it was my best friend, but we were good friends. We knew each other pretty well. And you've paid tribute to him on an album with some, some beautiful, uh, actually playing some of his music, right? Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah. Not a on the new record, but previously. Yeah, I, I did uh, two uh, cover albums. And because, you know, the new records, all, all my music, but I, one of them was called Tribute to Dime. And uh, I had a sound-alike singer that sounded like Phil on there. And he did a really credible job. And, you know, I, I just tried to, you know, you know I never, I, I've said this, I can't play Dime better than Dime could play Dime. Just like I can't be a better Randy Rhodes than Randy Rhodes. So I don't try. I try to do my best interpretation of their music to pay tribute. So that's in my mind. You know, because sometimes people say, well, dude, it doesn't sound like Dime. Well, it's not supposed to. I'm not Dime. I want to play his music to give a, a tribute to him in my own way. But it's done really well. You know, people like it. I love that. And, Michael, I, you, I don't, you don't have to go run and get this because I know it's way back there. But I see a, a blue burst, what looks like a Dime-style Dean in the back there. Is that what that is? Yeah. This is, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a pretty good-sized guitar collection. I could actually walk upstairs and show you guys. Going to see some wild stuff. See it if you could do it. Okay, let's do it. Hang on a second. <laughs> this is amazing. I have the only Gibson double guitar ever built. I have a Gibson. All that. We, okay. I showed a, um, a picture in the show open that was you with a double guitar, and I saw the Gibson logo on that, which yes. I was going to ask about. I'm walking upstairs, so this is like real time, real life here. I love it. Michelangelo Badio Cribs going on here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like MTV Cribs. <laughs> okay, I've got this. On the, it's getting dark out here. Okay, hang on. 
I see lots of guitars. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay, I don't know if you could. That's incredible. Oh, I, Every, wow. There's about 90 in here. Right. I see yeah. it against the window. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, Can you see eye. more lights? Yeah, I see, I see one of them there. It's the it's kind of a charcoal color. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you talking about the the Dean guitar here? Oh oh no no the, the that, that's great. But I'm talking about the double guitar in the back, kind of in front of the window. Okay, yeah. Here. Can I don't know if you can can you see that double? Yeah. That's my last Dean one before Elliot died. This one here. I wish I could turn. This is the only Gibson double guitar ever made. I'm going to put my phone towards the guitar so you can see. Yeah, I love that. Wow. The headstock says Gibson. It was, uh, it looks like two explorers. I wish I could tilt the camera the other way, but. Um, well, no, we, we can see it. We can see it great. It looks amazing. And I. Uh, the Gibson logo on the headstock in the picture that I posted. Yes. Yeah. See, and, and you know, the four neck quad guitar that I had uh, in Nitro, that was a Gibson and it was built by Wayne Charvel. So it's a Charvel Gibson, but I've got I've really good cool. guitars. I don't have nearly, you have, a, you have, your collection is completely different than mine. I don't have a Les Paul in it. And, you know, but I've got some old Thunders. It's not that I don't want one. I don't like Gibsons. I love Gibsons. But I have a lot of old Deans and, uh, and you know, I have prototypes and things that I've gotten, like crazy guitars, like Washburn 29 fret guitars. and 29 frets, that's amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah, but, but I love them. You know, like you love them. <laughs> it's great. I love them. And I, you know what I think is cool? You got, I, I don't know if that's, I, if that's a Gibson or an Epiphone, but that backwards V, that's really Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's a store in the Chicago area called the Music Gallery. They've been around since the 70s. They're, they're a diamond dealer, which means they're in a very affluent area, Highland Park, Chicago. It's like Beverly Hills. So, you know, when Michael Jordan lived here and Oprah, all that area, you know, the CEO of United Airlines, I used to teach guitar there. And I taught Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine when I was going to school. But he collects the Music Gallery, gets certain guitars in, and I got a call from the owner. That's a Gibson reverse flying V. And he called me up. The owner's name, Frank, Frank Leona. And Frank calls me up. He goes, Mike, Rick Nielsen just bought two of these. He goes, you know, he gives it me everything for cost. He goes, buy it and put it on your bed. And so I bought it. I, I've never really plugged it in. It's so bizarre. <laughs> cool. I, that's a Gibson. It might. It looks like it's Karina. If it's not Karina, it's a natural. I bet that's going to be worth a lot if it isn't already worth a lot right now. Yeah, it is. You're right. It's Karina. And I even have the price tag on it. And uh, back then, it listed for $14.29. It's about, like, uh, about 10 or 15 years old. I can't remember. I have to look. I have it dated. But, I, yeah, and it's in pristine condition. I mean... You know, you, you, that guitar room is unbelievable. I, I mean, I, I that's is that a Washburn? Um, I it's like A20V back there. The uh, yeah, that is amazing. Right. You know, your guitars, and I even have a Washburn that Nuno gave me. It's called the P3. Uh, it was uh, 
he called it the princess because I guess his daughter's name is princess, you know, his nickname for, but uh, I got that from him too. Yeah. Guys, Washburn, correct me if I'm wrong, but so Dean was a Chicago based company and Washburn was too, correct? Yeah. 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 Washburn was in a month. They're still in Mundelein. They used to be in Buffalo Grove. Then they moved. But, you know, I'm not a big company hopper. Um, What happened with Washburn was the owner, Rudy Schlocker, was getting ready to sell the company. He was very wealthy. Uh, He was from Austria originally. Do you remember those strings called Nashville Straits? Do you remember that where where they were marketing strings without being wound? They were just straight up. They were like three feet tall in these little skinny boxes. Right. It sounds familiar. Yeah. But yeah. This was Rudy, the guy that bought Washburn. He came up with this idea to market strings without without putting them in a, like a circle, just straight up so these little skinny boxes. And uh, that's he made millions on it. But he bought Washburn, and you know he's very wealthy. He's Austrian. He bought this beautiful chalet in Austria, so he was selling the company. So that's when, as luck would have it, I started talking to. Elliot, the owner that passed away from Dean, and he's like, Mike, it's time to come home. And so I ended up, you know, I knew Washburn was being sold. You know, we left on really good terms. You know, he understood he was selling the company. So I went back to Dean. It was like the perfect, it's the perfect, uh, like, confluence of events. It just all happened. You know, one company was leaving, another company is on the rise. And then, uh, you know, one year later, uh, that's when Dime got back, and then you know it exp- Dean exploded, you know. But it was a uh, it was a really fun time. But you know the owner's gone of Dean, so it's not the same hmm. company. Just like Washburn, it's not the same without. It's going to change. It's just it's it's you know it's better or worse. I don't know, but I don't hear much of Washburn anymore. But I still love the guitars. <laughs> They're cool. I love all of them, and I got I got a nice Washburn too. You know what? Well, you let Mark ask a question. I'm going to show you one really cool Washburn, and then I'll I'll, I'll uh, sure. stop talking about my guitars. Oh, I love guitar. I, I'll leave it I, at I this for, for hours talking about this. <laughs> yeah, from from for one of my last questions for you for you, Mike. Um, you've had such an incredible career. When you look back at it, what are like one or two of your highlights, career highlights? Well, I think you know being signed with Holland, and and not just because. You and I are friends and we know the band. You know, I mean, I, when we played Alpine Valley, opening up for Aerosmith, and Joe Perry calls me into the, his dressing room and says, are you going to do it? I went, what? He goes, are you going to do the double? And when I played the double guitar at Alpine Valley, because we only had 35 minutes, no encore, 35 on and off. That was it. That was our allotted time. And they actually literally called me into their dressing room to make sure I was going to play it because I never played. I was too, I was too afraid. And, 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 uh, but when you, you know, there were banners that said Holland and I even have up there a sign that says Aerosmith uh, with Holland. And then underneath it, it says like the week after Dio is playing. I've got a photo. And, uh, but that was one of the highlights. And I think the other one was probably, watching myself on on MTV for the very first time. A record company had said, you're going to be on Headbangers Ball. This is Nitro. This is Nitro. Yeah. Yeah. And when we waited the entire evening, no Nitro, but you were like, this sucks, man. The last video of the night was Nitro. And with the four neck guitar and our singer breaking glass, 
our album in one MTV play went from obscurity to hitting the Billboard Top 200. Freight you know? Train was the song, right? Freight Train? Yeah. Yep. I just got a, uh, a letter in the other day about a company licensing Freight Train. That song just keeps living on. And uh, so I'm not sure what they want, but uh, I'm going to contact them. It's, you know, totally above board and a serious, uh, you know, it's an offer. I, they want a W9, all this stuff. And so I, I haven't looked over everything yet. That's cool. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, so check this out. This is a, a Washburn one-of-a-kind uh, PS2000B was the, the normal model. And this Paul Stanley. Yeah, Paul Stanley model. And it's a silver blue uh, metallic. It's, it's not like a glitter flake, but it's a little bit sparkly. And uh, it's got a silver back um, neck. Uh, I, I think it's a set neck. I don't think it's a neck through, but it's it's uh, really nice and uh, just a, a great instrument. Well, you know, when I was with Washburn, they, at that time in the 90s, that is a gorgeous guitar. That's that's definitely worth some money. It's great. Because at the time, they had Nuno Betancourt, Dimebag, me, Dolly Parton, Paul Stanley, they were like cornering the market because at one point I, I was talking to Austin, the guy I'm working with now, that Washburn was almost, the, they were either number two or the number one biggest acoustic guitar seller, I mean, seller of acoustic guitars on the planet. That was, but they had all these great artists. And then the owner, a few years later, it's just, he just, you know, he was older at the time. He just kind of lost interest, but it was so cool. I remember when Paul Stanley signed with Wash, we were, we were like, man, that's amazing. You have an amazing guitar. That's great. Congrats. Love it. <laughs> yeah, so it's awesome. Michael, I had so much fun talking gear with you. Yeah, me too. I love it. Too, but I'm such a gear nut. I let Mark talk about the music and I was the gear guy tonight. But, <laughs> but I still love the music just as much. But Yeah, and the, the, and the new music, Michael, again, I'm really, really enjoying it. The album, again, More Machine Than Man out on Rat Pack Records. It's out now. It's been out, I think, one week today, June 19th. And yes. on the podcast version of this, uh, we will play some music off it. I think I'm, I, I want to play, uh, after your interview here, on the podcast version, we'll do The Badlands, if you're all right with that. Oh, yeah, I love it. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's great, Mark. Thanks. And again, we encourage everyone to check it out. It's up on Apple Music, Spotify. You can buy a hard copy of it on uh, Amazon Music. And Michael, where is the best place for people to get in touch with you online? Well, I my website is handswithoutshadows.com. That's my Chinese name, Hands Without Shadows. But uh, also just Michelangelo Badio on Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, Twitter. You know, I'm pretty easy to find on those social media sites. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's a weird time right now, but we hope that it passes soon and we need you back out on the road. I'd love to see you play in New Jersey. I know you, you played some shows out in, in Queens, but we'd love to get you down here to New Jersey soon. Yeah, I would love it too. You know, we're, I'm going on tour again at the end of July. It starts in Milwaukee, but the number of shows is not like we did 21 shows in a row and okay. it was, it was the South because it was wintertime. It was in January and February. I was on the road all through uh, January and February, literally from the 9th of January till almost the beginning of March, I was on tour. But it's this next tour, some of the, sh the shows are confirmed, but it's maybe nine shows in August, not a normal tour like 2025. So, so, and hopefully 
my routing is going to take me east because it's warmer out. And I, but I'm, I hope we can go to New Jersey, but we're not sure. You know, we just, you know, my agent, we're going to talk to see what we actually have. But what I, what I have given myself the like internal nod, whatever is booked, I'm doing it. You know, because, you. you know, just get out there and tell people live music is, is here. It's still here. Yes. So you not about, you know, it's not going to be a big money maker. You can't if you're going to play 10 shows in a month. But we're, the shows that are booked are booked. They're confirmed. And I will be there. <laughs> well, we will be at any show we can get to in the area. <laughs> cool. Cool. Thanks, John. Well, if we have to. But as long as it happens and we can get there, we'll be there. Cool. Awesome. And as and always, it's that, it. Washburn. that Washburn blew my mind. The Washburn guitar. <laughs> you know, we were just talking earlier today about Paul Stanley being with Washburn. And you have, because if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but his guitars were more black and had that kind of mirror. You know, yeah. that's that's like a, a real collector's item. And then um, they they did some one-off finishes. And this is, this is a one-of-one one that was made out of a custom shop with this finish. But bad oh i'm sorry to interrupt oh go ahead go ahead no well my last thing about washburn one thing that a lot of people don't know about washburn there was a guy there during the time with your guitar and when i was there named yuri shishkov yuri came from the soviet union he made his own tools he was one of the greatest luthiers that's ever been on this planet his inlay could i, I love paul reed smith it could smoke the dragon, Paul Reed Smith guitar. Wow. He was now a master builder at Fender. And then they created, he's beyond a master builder now. This is how good he is. He probably was one of the guys that worked on your guitar. Wow. You know, and, and so you know, he, they had a real magical person there. Uh, he, he was one of the greatest luthiers that, that really has been existed on the planet. And he was with Washburn during that time. I can't, I, this is, that's unbelievable to think that this guy might have worked on this guitar. Like, I, Yeah, because he worked on all my USA stuff, that A20 that you saw, that was all him. And the P3 was cutting into my rib cage, so he actually beveled out the back and repainted it. You can't even tell. I mean, it's, uh, but I'm pretty sure that he probably worked on that one. You know, I can't say for, for certain, but that's a bad guitar. Up and research him, uh, that's, that's so, uh, I'm totally into that stuff. Yeah, yeah, Yuri Shishkov. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. All right. Cool. Thanks for everything. Were you going to say something, Michael? Oh, I said thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. Thank thank you, Michael, for all the great music throughout the years. Uh, I mean, you've been really, literally, like a soundtrack to my life. So thank you for everything you've done for us. I had a great time. It was almost five years ago, if you can believe that, that we hung out at, at VH1 and did that cool little video uh, that was on demand on cable on cable TV networks and on VH1.com called That Metal Gear. Maybe I'll post that again in the show notes for this episode on TalkingMetal.com. Now, I, you know, it's hard to believe it's gone by so fast. Yeah, it really has. Somebody told me the other day that was five years ago. Yeah, and I still have the, the laminates. I still have the original shirt. You yeah. know, I... That. Yeah, it was, it was a great time for me. And, you know, us uh, hanging out and, you know, I mean, we have a lot in common musically. So, you know, it's great to talk about it. It's great. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. And anytime you need anything, please reach out to John and I. We are here for you. And uh, stay safe and good luck with everything, Michael. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, John. See you later. Michael, thanks for coming.
Bye. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Radio, ladies and gentlemen, and of course his album is More Machine Than Man out on Rat Pack Records. Uh, always love that guy. He's a fun interview, isn't he, John? He's fun to talk to. Good guy, I like him. We, we gotta, next time I'm hanging out too, we gotta, we gotta start going to shows again if there are shows, you know? Yeah. All right, dude, I gotta, let's kill it for tonight. Okay. You wanna play one song to take us out? Did we play it? Uh, yeah, we played, I, I think we played a- uh, Played Michelangelo Benio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you wanna play? Hmm. So, I'm um, trying to think, of, should we play something that has something to do with our show? Why don't we play, uh, I got it. I, I think it's available. Why don't we play Freight Train? Can we play that? Yeah, Freight Train by Nitro. Guys, thanks for joining us on Talking Metal. I gotta go pee. Okay, thanks everybody. Have a great day. I didn't wear my glasses today. I forgot. They're over there. But... All right, man. This is like astronomy unmasked.
I'm going to leave the meeting. Okay. Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend. All right, thank you, John. We'll see I got to go pee. Keep rocking. Ha, ha, ha.